So thank you for joining me. And I'm just going to start out with a simple question. So what is the central idea of Reteach Austin? Um, so when we first kind of got together, actually it was very interesting the way the teachers who kind of started the group came together. It really was almost an organic experience of just talking, having conversations with teachers at professional developments and connecting with other people who, oh, that person said something that I really connected with and, oh, that really resonated with me. Oh, that person cares about social justice issues. Oh, that person is thinking critically about our education system and the flaws within it and is willing to say something about it. And it was through these, like, just here and there, random conversations and connecting with people that way. This group of me and four other teachers started meeting regularly to create, with the intention to create an organization of like-minded, social justice-oriented teachers who wanted to make concerted efforts to disrupt inequities in in education. Um, And so I met Mr. Smith, Drew Smith, um, at this random meeting that all AISD teachers were required to attend, and it was just through conversation that we connect with one another and there was another person I connected with um I'm t- totally at the grad my graduate school program I met uh, a couple people that way at UT which is a very critically oriented their education program is super um focused on teaching teachers with a to approach education with a critical mindset and so I met a couple people in my grad school program and then just randomly in the district and we got together and started meeting regularly to talk about what does this look like to not be the only teacher on your campus doing this work or just feeling like you're really isolated and nobody else understands what you're trying to do, but instead have this kind of organized structure where we can meet and talk about the issues that we're having to brainstorm solutions to the issues that we're facing when we get, we get pushback or resistance from the communities that we're working with or from the administrators that we're working for. Um, and then Really, through my grad school program, I met Kama Bruce, who's the head of lower school here at St. Andrews, and and then he got really involved and was super supportive, and um, it kind of just took off from there. And so now we've kind of every couple every year we host an annual conference, and it's kind of like the highlight of the year of, of what our organization does. But we're trying to kind of build it up more and more every year, so that we're having regular meetings and regular workshops and just opportunities for teachers to connect with one another. Because I think doing social justice work whether you're in the public school system or the private school system, it's isolating work because you, you will get resistance and you do get pushback from all different directions. And it it's very easy to give up on trying to push that curriculum or it's very easy to give up on teaching entirely if you feel like what you're doing isn't appreciated or isn't supported. So Reteach basically functions as a network for teachers to connect with one another and support each other in the work that we're trying to do and expand it throughout Austin in different ways. Thank you. Um, so how does how how does Reteach work toward reforming classrooms and classroom discussion? So I th- it was interesting because right around the time Reteach started, and that was like around 2014, tw- yeah, 2014, um, there was another organization called Educators in Solidarity, who I also knew the people who are kind of in that sphere. They were taking the more activist approach of like, how do we rally teachers together to stand up for, you know, teachers' rights issues, workers' rights issues, or for students' rights issues, or rally at the Capitol for different like politically-oriented goals. And while I think being active within the community in that sense is equally as important as doing the work in the classroom, it felt like there was not that, the need for 
curriculum support wasn't really there. So as reteach, we decided to focus on how do we support teachers doing the work in their schools and in their classrooms. And so we try to offer workshops and, and our annual PD tries to provide that support for teachers and equipping them with tools and opportunities for discussion and give them lesson feedback and peer feedback on what they're doing in their classrooms and how they can make it more critical, how they can push the students further in their in their critical thinking skills, essentially, and, and to question what about our society is unjust and what is what as students can we do about that? So we really take the approach of focusing on what happens in the classroom. And, and I guess also in addition to that kind of partnering Having teachers from charter schools, public schools, and private schools, kind of all three realms of the education system, having teachers in all aspects of those um, spheres of education makes you feel like you have like people to go to, and you mm-hmm. feel like you have a space to go to, even if you don't have that in your in your school or with your colleagues or even within your entire district or school campus. So. So what, what types of sociopolitical issues do you personally focus on incorporating into classroom discussions and what, what is your approach towards discussing those topics with your students? Um, so these conversations can all, will inevitably be challenging regardless of the student population you're working with because I think any of these issues, when we talk about social justice issues, whether it's race, gender, sexual identity, any of the class, class is definitely a touchy one right like those can be very controversial and can those conversations can easily be derailed by inappropriate comments or inappropriate responses to comments or kind of this emotional response that we tend to have about issues that we feel strongly about and because these are issues that kids are constantly exposed to but are never taught explicitly about they're in, they're taught to have an opinion about these things whether they've ever articulated it or not when they're given the opportunity to articulate, oh, here's how I feel about class differences, here's how I feel about like racial issues in America, they have an opinion just simply by existing in the world that we live in, whether they've articulated or not. So when they're given the opportunity to do that, if they're not doing it within the context of a classroom that has certain norms, like discussion norms put in place or structures for how we speak to one another, then those conversations easily get derailed. So one of the first things I do at the beginning of the year and something I've showed a lot of other teachers how to do is to create classroom discussion norms that come from the students themselves. So before we even touch on any sort of social issue or look at a piece of text through the lens of race or class or whatever, I have them think about a time when they've had a heated conversation with somebody and it's escalated out of control. And I want I try to get them to put themselves back in that situation and reflect on it and think what discussion norms could we have held each other to that would have prevented this from getting out of control or from getting our emotions out of control. And so with that prompt, they're able to come up with things like, okay, listening to the speaker when they're speaking, not talking over one another, um, hearing the truth of somebody else's experience and not denying that person's experience when they're when they're trying to share it. Um, not betraying the confidence of the people who share things that might be very personal, not leaving the classroom and spreading that and taking it elsewhere. So they kind of create these different norms and then we always have them to come back to. So if there's ever a situation where a student responds inappropriately or um, kind of gets emotionally heated in any way, we can bring them back to those norms and say, hey, remember when we talked about this, we need to make sure we're grounding our conversations in that. And it's really great for me as a teacher too because I'm a human being, right? I'm gonna get heated sometimes. I'm gonna get passionate about stuff and maybe not always articulate my ideas in the best way. And one of the best experiences I had 
was when, this wasn't here, but at a previous school, I was getting really intense about the issue of police brutality. And a student made a comment and I kind of immediately responded to it. And then she said something again and then I responded again. And then it didn't, it wasn't a positive, it wasn't like a wholly positive interaction. And I could sense that, but I couldn't like put the words to it. And then a student came up to me and said, Ms. Mathai, I felt like maybe you weren't doing as good of a job sticking to our discussion norms of this is a dialogue, not a debate. And I was like, you know what? You're right, Ileana. Like, I shouldn't have done that. Like, I should have, I should have been more mindful of the norms. And so then the students feel empowered to think of our space as not like a, oh, you're the teacher, we're the students, you're more powerful, we're less powerful. They see this as a community space where we're on the same level. And I might be the facilitator oftentimes, but I'm not, I'm not bringing more or less knowledge to the conversation than they are. And that like they have just as much to offer and, they, and that I'm just as accountable to the norms as they are. And so I think like kind of shifting that power dynamic, it's weird for students to feel that, right? Like, oh, why isn't my teacher bossing me around and telling me what to do? Because mm-hmm. that's what they're used to a lot of the time, or it's like teachers work really hard to maintain that level of authority. Right. But I think when you just are really real with the kids and you make them feel safe in your classroom, then they feel comfortable saying to you, you know, being honest with you and saying like, I'm, I'm gonna hold you accountable to these norms also. And that's great for me because I can always grow and learn mm-hmm. as a person, especially when talking about controversial issues that I feel really passionate about. So, yeah, I think discussion norms are a really big part of it. Um, oh, and I guess the second part of that would be equipping kids with the language to speak about things. So we spend a lot of time talking about how it's important to name the power dynamics within a certain hierarchy. So instead of call, like calling things, oh, that's racism, naming it white supremacy is really important and we talk about the distinction between those two so naming the group that's in power naming this institutional structures that have been put in place as tied to the white identity and being imposed upon people of color right like that's an important dynamic to constantly recognize or instead of saying oh that's sexist saying oh that's reinforcing the patriarchy right because then that names the dynamic of, of power that's behind that right that the male dominant society that we live in is imposing its norms on a non-male population, right? And so there's a lot of, we do a lot of work around teaching explicit vocabulary because the average seventh grader does not know what the patriarchy is, right? You have to like explicitly teach that or they don't know what heteronormativity is. And so we have to teach that language so that they can name exactly what they're seeing in terms of the power dynamic. Because I think it's very easy for kids to say, everything's racist, everything's sexist, be like, like a boy to be like, oh, you're being like sexist against me. And it's like, well, is it, if you're not acknowledging the power behind what's happening, then you're not really accurately naming it, right? And so that's another second kind of big component to the work that we do in our class. Um, and in the context of English, I mean, I did this a lot with social studies and it was very easy to speak about history through these different lenses, but with literature, it's great because you can bounce around from text to text and go from issues of race, class, gender, sexuality, all these different ability. And mm. one text can give you like five of those, like touch on all five of those different hierarchies. Or you can look at one poem that's talking about race and one poem that's talking about class and or, you know, intersections of those different things. And it's awesome. So I think there's a lot of freedom with English literature. Mm-hmm. And what are you? what do you believe are the sources of these vexing issues that you like to cover in, in conversation in the classroom? Sorry, let me repeat the question again. Yeah. What do you believe are, the, are some of the sources of the, these vexing issues that 
that you cover in discussion in, in the classroom? Um, so, I mean, there's a lot behind the sources. I mean, I guess of different power dynamics I mean, with race and class and gender. I mean, it comes back to history, right? I mean, the history of our country and the history of colonialism and like all of those things that happened hundreds of years ago and we're still dealing with the legacy and the impact of those events, right? So um, grounding everything that we do in a historical context I think is really important and when we approach literature from that end. Um, but in terms of the kids being able to really push them and their thinking, um, I guess maybe a particular challenge being at St. Andrews is the fact that our community is extremely homogenous, right? I mean, we have like a 90% white student body and just by virtue of the fact that we charge tuition, right, we're gonna have a predominantly wealthier student population. So when you're trying to get them to empathize or understand different perspectives, like I remember being the only student of color in a classroom and feeling that burden of being tokenized or being like, oh, I need to speak on behalf of all brown people right now because I'm literally the only brown, and I never want a student in my classroom to feel that way, but I, f I oftentimes am conscious of that, that like, when we're talking about issues of race, every single person in this classroom looks like everybody else, racially or socioeconomically, or even in terms of gender, like everyone identifies as cisgender, right? So there's, there's a lot of barriers in that sense because when I was teaching in public schools and when I was teaching a more diverse student population, it was just, the conversations were so much more um, enriching for the students because it wasn't this abstract idea of, oh, people in this other group feel like this, but I don't know anyone who's of that group, or I can't hear that being articulated from a student who I am friends with, who I know personally, but never maybe saw the world through that lens before, through their eyes, or through um, through a racialized lens, or a you know non-heteronormative lens, or whatever the case may be. So that is a huge challenge, um, and I think you know, one of the things that your dad is trying to do, and I think a lot of teachers at St. Andrews are trying to do is, is diversify the student population and the student and the faculty population because the more exposure kids get to these conversations and understanding that having these conversations is important, then it's gonna become second nature. But as long as it's this isolated thing where, oh, only in English class we talk about these issues, or oh, only with this one random teacher, she was really all about social justice, and it's like, well, really, every teacher should be about social justice. It's just they're not, they're not necessarily equipped with the ability to know how to do that. But I think that's partly what reteach tries to do is, mm -hmm. is reach out to those teachers who maybe want to do the work but don't know how to, and give them tools and resources and connect them with the right people to learn how to do it. So. Mm -hmm. And how might young people take action in their communities to? to help lead the way out of issues uh, like these? Um, well, I think it, it's really important for students to speak from their truth, right? So certainly if they feel like they can identify with a particular issue um, that affects a population that they identify with, right? Whether that's race, gender, class, any of those things, then they can speak their truth and, send, and their voice can be centered in that conversation, right? So I think for kids who don't identify as marginalized in any particular way, um, that can be kind of tricky, right? Because then they can't be the center of attention. It's not, like, it's not about them. It's about these other groups of people that are, that are struggling. But I think like the other day, I'll give you an example. Like the other day we were analyzing, we're in our poetry unit and I was having the kids read my Angelou's Still I Rise. 
and you know we've taught the kids this vocabulary and like how to name these different things and so we were talking about this the thematic statement to summarize the theme of the poem we talked about how yeah she's directly addressing like systems of oppression right and this poem is for people who are marginalized and to feel oppressed to feel like they can draw upon their strength and draw upon their cultural heritage and their identity to stand up against that oppression right still i rise right she repeats it over and over again and and this white male student raised his hand and goes you know i think that is that is really the theme this poem is really for people who are affected by oppression in that way but i think kind of more generally this poem is about non-conformity right like not conforming to what people expect of you like if they expect to put be able to put you down like not giving in to that and he was like and because I'm white and male you know I don't identify as marginalized necessarily but I definitely see like it's kind of the norm it's like the the dominant groups that I'm a part of might see it as normal or normalized to put down these other groups and it's part part of my job to stand up and say no like you shouldn't be doing that or no that's not okay or that's unjust and and even if I'm going against the norm to stand up and say no to that and I think that in that way this poem speaks to me and I was like yes like <laughs> yes that's awesome <laughs> like that like yeah, I mean even if we're reading this literature that's not written for you young white male that's okay like there's still something there for you and there's something really important that you can take away from it and that student was able to perfectly articulate it and mm-hmm. it was just really awesome so I think like Having kids understand, like, whether you're doing this social justice work and, and going out and working within your community that you identify with, whether that's with a group that's marginalized or not, there's work to be done, right? And certainly in predominantly white spaces, there's a lot of work to be done among those people who understand these issues to educate their white peers, right? Because it's not really on people of color to do all of that work by themselves. We can't do it by ourselves. We have to have allies in the, in the communities that are in the dominant group to help with that work. And so having young students like that, being able to articulate those ideas and then carry that understanding with them to everything else that they're thinking about when it comes to world issues, I mean, that's, that's the kind of, I mean, that's partly the reason why I was like, yeah, I think working at St. Andrews would be a neat opportunity mm-hmm. because I'm not used to having mostly white students I'm not used to having male students. I was teaching in a single gender education environment for the last couple of years. And so to teach white men, young white boys, how to think about these issues critically and to learn to center other people's experiences and learn from that, I think is, is pretty awesome. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Thank you. And um, so how does Reteach stay active in the community um, with you know events or gatherings and conferences like you mentioned mm-hmm. before? Yeah, I mean, so a lot of the communications via email, like we have this ever-growing list of, like a listserv of emails, and over the last couple years, Reteach kind of started out as something that was heavily connected to the UT grad program, and heavily connected to people at St. Andrews, and heavily connected to kind of a handful of AISD teachers that were interested in doing this work, and it's expanded so much more. So now we have people on the AISD district level who are on our listserv and we have community members who are not necessarily teachers but are lawyers or politicians or do other kind of work but are still interested in education and whenever there's an event that comes up I mean we host that one thing every year and we try to host workshops periodically throughout the year but beyond that we send information about community events all the time so Mm -hmm. that way people can be involved in different things and I mentioned that sister organization educators in solidarity they are frequently organizing like political action 
kind of events. And so we just send out their information to, to members to get involved in different ways outside of just the curriculum aspect. So what inspired you to, to start Reteach Austin, like um, sort of a social activist awakening moment, uh, if you have one? I have to credit the grad program at UT. It was a lot of like reading the scholarship around race and critical race theory and feminist scholarship and just understanding more about those issues through my grad school program was kind of the first step. And after about, it took two semesters for me to be like, okay, I'm, I'm reading these things and I'm going to keep reading about these things for the next couple of years of my grad school program, but I can't just read about it. I feel like I have to, I have to do something with this, right? I can't just theorize about what should be happening in classrooms and then not actually implement it in any sort of real way. And so that was partly my frustration with the gap between kind of like, and this is a pretty common critique of like academia and like college level, grad school level, PhD level thinking and writing is all happening, but it's all like staying within that sphere. It's not coming down into the classrooms at the grassroots level where people are working with kids every day, right? So it's fine to theorize about these things, but if you're not actually doing it, then what's the point of any of that theory and any of that scholarship? So really it was the intention to just bring that into the classroom. And then doing that work, I was like, it's impossible to do this work alone. Because like I said earlier, you get resistance from all these different angles and it's so easy to feel discouraged and want to give up. And so I, I remember reading a particular article in one of my grad school classes with Dr. Kefferlin Brown. She's amazing. She's going to speak at our reteach event this year. She's awesome. I hope you can come to it. Um, she gave us this article by um, a professor who was doing research on teachers who are trying to teach for social justice within a very, like, within different potentially hostile environments. And the teachers were all at different campuses, but she studied them. And in order to study them, she would have them regularly meet like once a month to just talk about the things that were going on in their campuses. And the purpose of those meetings was for her research, right? That was the intention. But one of her takeaways, one of her conclusions that she learned is having this space with these like-minded people coming together and talking about the struggles they were having then enabled them to talk to other people who had been doing similar things and figure out, okay, what did you do that worked? What did I do that didn't work? How can we like change up what we're doing to make it more successful? How can we just like support and cry on each other's shoulders when we need to, to like, you know, vent, but then also like figure out what to do. And just having that kind of like safe haven, that like space to be with other people who were doing the same work, enabled those teachers to persist in ways that they probably wouldn't have otherwise. And so I think like that becomes part of the work. And this is true for everything that's ever happened in terms of social justice, any sort of social movement, right? It's never one person that's doing it. It's masses of people rising up and organizing together, right? Keyword being organizing. And so I think Reteach serves as that platform for people to kind of come together in an organized way to maximize the effect of what they're trying to do, which is to do the work in the classroom, but then also to maintain the support networks they need to keep going and to persist and and to find other people. Like for me, it ended up being like I found other people and other schools and places where I could feel safe doing the work that I was doing because I no longer felt safe doing it in the school that I was in previously. And so it's it can be just as simple as that as like job networking even, right? But also, I mean, even more than that. So in that sense, Reteach has been fundamental and it, it, it 
it made itself necessary because doing the work was so isolating and scary to mm-hmm. do it by, by yourself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. You've been at St. Andrews since what? Sixth grade. grade. Since sixth grade. Okay, so I don't know if you remember being in a different school or having teachers who were trying to do this kind of thing and seeing the challenge. I don't know if you've ever had to see the challenges that they face, but being in a public school environment, particularly, or charter school environment where, and even different, like St. Andrews is an incredibly supportive private school environment. There's a very progressive mindset here among the administrators, but that's not the case in the vast majority of schools out there. And so doing the work can be very hard if you don't have the support. Mm -hmm. And so what have you personally gained from being involved with reteach these past years? Um, The ability to persist, like number one, that's my biggest takeaway from it. and, And that is through forming a community, right? I mean, I think we talk about that all like, oh, community is so important and having a strong sense of community is important. But when it comes to doing this kind of work, it's crucial. It's not just good to have it, it's necessary. Um, because then you just you don't feel so alone. Right. And you like realize that the work is being done in so many different places and <clears throat> you could potentially move to those places. If you feel like you can no longer do it in one place, you go and find a different place to do it and you still have the impact and you still have the influence and, and you still make those positive changes in a different way so you don't get discouraged um I really think those that's really the biggest thing I've gotten out of having reteach as a as a support network essentially well that just about wraps it up thank you again for allowing me this opportunity to gain a deeper understanding of these topics sure. and for blazing a new trail <laughs> yeah. well I appreciate the interview thank you Cam no problem thank you <laughs>